Welcome to Desk Doodles episode 22. I'm your host, Sapna Malhotra. It's been three months since I last shared a conversation with you. And the reason is that I was on this amazing journey. I really want to talk about it with you. And after that, I will bring the wonderful guest that I have today. So some of you might remember that I'm an educational change maker. I have my own company called Thoughts on Wings. And I conduct these sessions for teachers wherein I encourage them to rediscover their creative self and uh, incorporate uh, theater, incorporate gamification, storytelling into everyday teaching. So as part of that, I conducted 17 sessions for 400 teachers of Isha Vidya schools. Now that by itself was amazing for me. But the biggest challenge when we wanted to start on this journey itself was that most of these schools are in the rural areas. So the teachers did not have a laptop or a tablet. So a big shout out to Mr. Dave Irlapati. He's the CEO of S2 Tech and he's in uh, the US. He's a philanthropist, he's a change maker. So uh, he, within a span of eight to 10 days, made it possible for each and every one of those 400 teachers to get a brand new tablet in their hand. So thank you so much, Mr. Dave, for doing that and for making it possible for all those 400 teachers and me to walk this path. So once we had those, all the teachers had those tablets in their hand, we were off and then opened a box of excitement for me. When I conducted these sessions, the teachers were so energized, so excited, so positive, and they, they were like sponges. They wanted to absorb whatever I was giving them and it was, amazing to see that excitement. They wanted to take it back to their children. Ma'am, it's going to change their lives. That's what they would say. And they would want me to continue giving and sharing with them the techniques that I wanted to bring to them. So today I feel really privileged to welcome the guest. She is the energy, the positivity, and the excitement behind those teachers. Uh, she has been with Isha Foundation for the past 14 years, and she is the academic head for Isha Vidya Schools. Please welcome Ma Vidya Devi. Welcome to Test Doodles, Ma. Thank you. It's wonderful to join you. Oh, amazing. I'm so happy and really feeling so elated to have you here today to have a conversation on the various aspects of education. Me too. It's really exciting to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ma. But before we jump into our conversation, uh, I would like you to tell us a little bit about your journey, how you began this path, uh, you know, what was your inspiration and where you are today? Sure. So I'm from the US and I I grew up there and I, when I was in high school, I got involved with some volunteering. It was a part of my high school that we had to do volunteering. So then when I was in university, I also was interested in doing some volunteer work. So during the summers, I would, uh, instead of, in the US, it's common for people to work. Students usually work in the summer. So instead of getting a job, I would do some different volunteer projects. And then after college, I thought, okay, before I start my profession, let me uh, spend a year or two, and I wanted to do something abroad. I had also studied abroad when I was in college. So I got an opportunity to go to Nepal, where I was teaching for two years in a village school uh, in rural Nepal. So that was an incredible experience. It was my first time coming to this part of the world, though I had traveled many times to Europe and South America. And after I came, after leaving Nepal, I also visited India and um, got interested in yoga and meditation. So when I came back to the US, I was looking at what to do for higher studies because I had always taken for granted that I would do some higher studies as everyone in my family had. And at that time, I also did an Isha yoga program that was in the US. So that was a turning point in my life. Um, it was an incredible experience. It was the inner engineering class and Sadhguru was there as the teacher. And one thing, uh, two things, which aside from the spiritual aspect, which jumped out, one is that he spoke about Yishavidya in the class itself. And having been in Nepal, of course, it um, picked my interest. Oh, they, they also have a you know, rural education project. And I was wondering how they did it and you know, how it happened. They had just started it. So that was in 2007 when I did the class. And so I asked a question about Yishavidya. 
Another thing which really struck me in the program was somebody asked about higher education. And Sadhguru answered something, I don't remember the exact words about how. With the current education system, sometimes the more we get educated, the less intelligent we become. It actually stifles us, you know? So instead of just going for more and more education, instead of that actually getting involved in things and doing things, we can learn so much. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of um, something that stuck in my mind because right then I was looking, you know, what do I want to do? Should I go to medical school or law school or, you know, something like this. So after this program, I did another program in the U.S. and then I decided to come to India and visit uh, Isha Yoga Center here in Coimbatore. So I came here the same year in the fall, 2007, and it so happened that within about a week of coming here, I met somebody who was volunteering in Ishavidya. And when I told her about what I had been doing, she said, oh, you have to join Ishavidya, you have to join the project. So I thought, okay, let me see. So I spoke to the project director and I said, I'm interested in this and I've been doing something similar. And he said, okay, but you have to commit to be here for two years. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, already I've been away for two years from the US and my family. Yeah. And I only plan to come for a short time. Yeah. But then I decided, you know, it's let me go ahead and do it because uh, Satguru and the ashram, I guess, is really what, you know, what made it, you know, made me want to stay. But that two-year commitment kind of stuck, you know, made me, okay, I'll stay for two years. Of course, by the end of two years, I had decided that I wanted to be here for my life. So that was back in 2007. And I've been here till, till now with Isha Vidya. Uh, but definitely the inspiration is Sadhguru and how, you know, how he's impacted my life and also how I've seen him impact so many other people's lives. Wow. I'm, I'm just uh, so enamored with your entire story, Ma, and so inspiring because like when, when you started on this path, you were so young and, you know, you're still figuring out what you want and then to find a calling like that and to I mean, you've been with it for 14 years. It's so huge. It's such an inspiration by itself. So, yeah, it's definitely nothing that I would have predicted yeah. in my life. You know, I hadn't planned to go into education, um, but it's been an incredible journey. It's definitely been an ongoing learning experience for me. I can say for sure that I've learned so much on this journey uh, and I've been blessed with wonderful people, you know, aside from the inspiration for Sat, from Satguru, there's so many people that I am here volunteering with or working with who are so passionate and, you know, dedicated to what they're doing, that it's been constantly an inspiration to have these people around. Absolutely. And I think that's an inspiration for all of us who are listening to it, because all you need to do is, I think, uh, like we say, look within, right? And that when that opportunity presented itself to you and you just thought to yourself, do do I really want to walk this path? And then you got yourself, you know, uh, heard that calling and you've been walking still. So amazing. And thank you for sharing that with us. So uh, going forward from there, Ma, like when, you, when you're talking about Isha Vidya schools and working with rural schools, of course, it's a totally different uh, experience and a learning every day, I think. Because I, when I conducted these sessions with your teachers also, it was a first for me because I had never conducted a session for teachers in the rural areas. And I, I learned in every one of those 17 sessions. So uh, I wanted to ask you, like, what is the philosophy and what is the ideology behind your schools uh, when you come to uh, rural schools, you know? So Isha actually has three different types of school systems. So within the ashram, they have two schools. One is called Isha Homeschool which is a very you know top level school children come from all over india and the world it's a residential school and it follows a more you know like a standard degree system where they the children after this they can go anywhere in the world for any college or university they also have another school called samskriti which is a group loan style so that's totally different it's kind of going back to the traditional indian approach and the children there really specialize in um, not necessarily the academic subjects, but more the traditional arts, like, you know, traditional dance, traditional music, right. uh, traditional martial arts and medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Sita medicine, these type, yoga, of course. Sakura yeah. so says these children are for the universe, not for the university. Wow. So these two schools are in the ashram. And Isha Vidya is, again, a separate system, which is outside of the ashram. And Isha Vidya is for their rural children. So our main objective is one, 
for our students, we want to ensure that they have a chance to go for higher education and get gainful employment. Many of them are first generation learners in their own family. So it's a big deal for them to come to a school, an English medium school and get an education like this. So definitely employment is a main focus for them. Of course, that's not the case, you know, for the schools in the ashram where the children already come from families who are financially settled, then that focus is something else. But our students are coming from families where they're still struggling to get food, you know, basic necessities, they may still struggle. 60% uh, of our children are on scholarship. And that is after careful evaluation. So we, you know, after they apply, we visit their home, we visit the neighbors, we see what are the assets, we make sure that they need the scholarship. And then only we give. Yeah. So these are children who really come from a very, um, you know, they come from a background which is quite different from probably most of the people watching the podcast, certainly different from my background. And for them, getting a job is really important for them and their family. And in order to do that, we really prioritize English fluency, computer skills. And, um, you know, these are two things which are really important to get employed. But aside from that, we also want them to be balanced and joyful. So how do we combine these? You know, how do we approach it in a holistic way? It's an ongoing journey for us. But ultimately, we want to create... Um, make it possible for them to reach their full potentials. And there's different ways that that may happen for different students, of course, yeah. um, but that's the important thing. It's not just about getting a job. It's not just about learning English or getting good marks on the test. Yeah. It's about the development of the individual, making sure that they're in an environment where their possibilities are given a chance to blossom. And that when they step out of the school, wherever they go, they will know how to adapt to that situation. They've been given enough opportunities to think and to be creative and to you know, analyze situations that when they go to a new place, they have the capability to adapt. So these are kind of, um, you know, roughly speaking, our objectives. And one other main thing is uh, we want it to be scalable. So we want a model which can actually you know, scale up substantially model, which works in rural India, given the limitations, the challenges. Right. So each environment has their own challenges. It's yeah. not that any place is without challenge, but definitely rural India, the challenges are unique. When we look online, so much education material is there, but most of it we can't immediately use, yeah. you know? So how do we make a model which works with these uh, teachers, with this environment, with the students from this background. And then beyond Ishavidya, how do we help facilitate other schools also employing the same techniques? So in addition to our own schools, we have 10 schools. We also work with government schools. So we do training, uh, we give some content to them and we see how we can also support them to enhance the quality of education for their students. Absolutely. And so rightly said, Ma, that it's not only about the academics. And I like when I conducted these sessions with your teachers, uh, I, I got the feeling that there was a, a lot of uh, hands on work being done, like children were uh, educated in a very experiential uh, way, because I, I personally myself believe that in a lot, because I think anything that you learn by doing is something that remains with you forever. Something like, you know, as mundane as tying a shoelace, which we learned like, you know, when we were like four and uh, we still remember, but we don't remember when the French Revolution happened or something. So I think it's pretty clear why we need to create our schools and our classrooms as pods for experiential learning for children. And I think when, when we talk about your schools or any schools for that matter, it doesn't have to be a rural school. It just needs to be, you know, where children have to learn with experience. And uh, more, I feel that when, when you're talking, it's all about these children who are first, uh, first generation learners, like you say, for that, for those children to get education, it is impacting the society in such a big way because one child educated in that family creates uh, an entire different, uh, you know, universe for that family. So that that's, I think, a very big uh, impact on the society. What, what, what do you think? I mean, you would have experienced it firsthand, you know, when things happen like that. 
Yeah, definitely. It has a ripple effect. So if you educate one child, and it's not just the, again, it's not just the academics, but the way that we interact with the children, you know, the way the teachers are interacting with the child, uh, it creates a different feeling. One thing, when we have new children join our school, when they come from other schools, one of their first comments will be, oh, the teachers, they don't beat us, they don't shout at us, you know, they treat us in a different way. Um, we've had, because we're not so exam focused, of course, we want our children to pass the exams and they do phenomenal, you know, they pass and they do well, but that's not our main focus. So we have had cases in higher classes, like 11, 12, where parents will take the child out and put them in a school, which is solely focused on exam prep, especially for something like medical school. There are schools which are exclusively just doing exam prep. So we've had students like this where the parents pull the child out and put them in that school. And then after a year, they bring them back or after a month, they bring them back because either the child does not accept it. No, I, I have to go back to Ishidudya. Or the parent sometimes realizes, you know, they see what's happening with their child or in a few very tragic cases, we've seen, you know, somebody else that that family knows something very severe will happen to the child, you know, because of so much pressure. The, the, that other child's parents will be pressuring them so much for exam, something like this. They may commit even suicide, something. Then the parents realize, yeah. you know, then they realize, okay, what is different about Ishavidya is very, very important. And they put the child back. Right. It's, but we don't have students who themselves want to leave for exam prep. So the child is, has their head on straight, you know, yeah. but the parents, and it's not all the parents, we have both extremes. We have some parents who don't care about education then we have to push them okay why is education important then we have other parents who are like so fixed on um you know test marks and these things so we have to work with the parents you know we have to do a lot of uh orientation for them also for the children it's a little simpler yeah you know they have a very open mind and they pick up things in a different way okay. so we've seen this we've we've had children come who had misbehavior problems at their previous school. Then when they come, the parent shares with us, you know, this is my child has started to behave so much better right. because of what's happening, because of the way the teachers are handling them. The, the child, the entire behavior has changed the way that they're behaving at home has changed. Absolutely. So this is how we know something, you know, something is happening. No, and I think what you say, Ma, is so right because it's the environment around the child that generates that kind of a behavior. And if the child is in a nurturing, in a caring, in a loving environment where the child feels secure, I think that's again a very, very big point there because when the child feels secure, I think then the child is able to, you know, delve within and try to understand what I want to do and what I strongly feel about versus a child who's being put in, okay, if you don't get this, then you won't get that. And you don't do this, then you won't get that. You know, that kind of a learning versus the kind of learning where the child is given the freedom to think, to explore and to experiment and then figure out. I think there, there is a, uh, it's a very clear cut design for success here where the children can explore and, you know, uh, figure out what they want to do. And a lot of it um, begins with the teachers, right? Yes, so absolutely, absolutely. before the child, before the teacher can create this environment, we have to create that environment for the teachers, right. which is why, for example, something like your training, you know, is a great experience for the teachers. And we do, we also do a lot of training with them because our teachers went by mostly they went through a very conventional education which was completely memorization memorization they weren't allowed to ask questions they weren't allowed to be creative really they weren't allowed to think it was all very stifling yeah so now when we want them to start you know teaching in a different way it requires a lot of um reorientation absolutely and so that's also a beautiful experience um and that's one of you know Aside from the successes we see with students, we see a lot of change within the teachers. Uh, when they come for trainings, we've had them share, you know, how it's a different experience. They've never had an experience like this in their life. We've had some teachers with tears in their eyes. Okay, I don't want to go back home. So usually <laughs> you're actually now we're doing all online training, but previously we would have them come 
stay three, four days at the school. They didn't stay overnight. The first day, some will cry because they've never been away from home. Yes. Yeah. You know, they've never, never, never left their city. They're coming to a new place. But on the last day, they'll cry because they don't want to go home. They've oh. made so many friends. They built so many connections. Absolutely. And this is really important, you know. So for the teachers also, many of them have shared that the school is like a second home. You know, the support they get from their principal, their vice principal, it makes them feel like this is a second home, which then enables them to create that same environment for the children. Absolutely. So having this type of training, and of course, they all loved your training. So oh. that was nice. <laughs> I, I loved uh, interacting with them. And when we are talking about the trainings, Ma, so you remember when we started our discussion for the training, I said we would probably do a one and a half hour uh, session. And uh, from the moment go from the first workshop itself, we ended up doing a three hour session. And that only happened because the teachers were so ready to absorb. They were like, no, Sapnaka, let's do this also. And they were so excited to take what, uh, you know, I was sharing with them. And I learned so much because that excitement that that energy that they brought it was all because the desire to take it back to the children you know it they it was so crystal that they wanted to make a difference in their classrooms and which is so necessary as an educator so that this leads uh, me to bring you the next question and i wanted to ask you you know what how do you inculcate that kind of a service mindset in your teachers because i could see it so clearly in the teachers when i was interacting with them and I think whether they are in a rural or an urban school, it doesn't matter. I think that service mindset as an educator is so necessary. So I think that there's kind of two um, main reasons for this. So on the one hand, um, definitely it starts with Sadhguru. You know, everything, everything that Isha Vidya is, is from his vision. And everything that he's doing is, is like not for his well-being. It's a, an outpouring, you know, of his desire for, for the humanity to be the best it can be. So our whole management is all volunteer, fully volunteer-based. I'm a full-time volunteer. All of our management is. Um, we have so hundreds of volunteers around the world who support us. And like I said, 60% of children are on scholarship. All the land is donated. All the school buildings are donated. You mentioned Dayana, for example. He suddenly, oh, here are four, 400 tablets. Like this, you know, without a hesitation. So we have incredible people who are pouring in generosity, their time, their money, their uh, experience. And this has a, creates a different environment, you know? Though our teachers are staff, but they have to earn money for their families and this and all. But they see so many people who are doing this out of dedication simply that that also, you know, the same thing happens for them. Most of our team, for example, we have an academic team who, who does all the like in-house training we do and we um, do content adaptation. We see what material is available, how we can adapt it to work in the situation. We visit the schools and we, you know, help the teachers and in, insight. Almost everybody in our academic team, either they're a volunteer or if they're staff, they're getting paid much, much less than they could if they got another job. They're here because they care about it. You know, many of them have an engineering degree or a computer degree. They could get paid two or three times more, but they're not interested in money. Yes, they need some money for their family. But the reason that they're here is because they care about the cause. Same thing, many of our principals, probably all of our principals could get paid much more if they went to, to another school because they, they're so qualified, they have so much training, but they're here because they care, um, you know, and they see the children, they see what the home situation is like, you know, the challenges, so many challenges, you know, we don't see it from afar, but when you get to know the children, some of their home lives are so, uh, you know, unbelievably challenging. I'm sure. If they if they don't have a father, or sometimes they don't have a father or mother, you know, so many things they go through. And for these children, the school is their anchor, you know, and the impact that the teachers and the principal have is really profound. So on the one hand, I think that that is all, you know, from Sakura's grace that is happening. At the same time, I have to say that our teachers themselves come with such openness. I think uh, being in rural India, 
they don't have the cynicism or the, you know, the same attitude that you might have in an urban India, definitely in the US. I'm not saying everyone, yeah. but you know, there's, they themselves haven't had so much exposure. So when you start giving them a little bit, little bit more exposure, they're like so eager and so open. You know, this openness we see with our teachers and with our students. I don't know if we would find this if we went to an urban area or if we went to another country, but definitely our teachers are like so sincere. It's really amazing. So I'm not at all surprised, you know, if the training went double, not a surprise. And I think I remember initially you and they were asking, okay, can we send all the teachers hour and a half? Or like, of course, you know, if it's worthwhile, they'll definitely go. No, they they won't hesitate. Yes, and I I myself thought that you know the because for like online training sessions and one and a half hour, you know, they'll be happy till then because it won't be productive after that. But the three hours just went nonstop without a break, and I like you said, some of the teachers were you know. Uh, at other times would be so emotional. I got so emotional, ma, because it just felt like I had expanded my family because each one, you know, we were so personally involved with that workshop. We were learning techniques to teach children, but the experiences that we shared throughout that journey, I think just created a bond for, uh, you know, that would never be raised kind of a thing. And when we're talking about the service mindset, like I, I personally feel that, you know, uh, definitely doctors, they, they have a responsibility because it's a life in their hand, just like a soldier or, you know, any policeman or a fireman. I think, and as, as an educator, we also have that, that kind of a responsibility because we have, we can shape a life, the, you know, to give that child a life where the child feels secure, the child feels happy. And I think our schools really need to be those kind of happy pods where we can give them that environment, you know, for them to grow and learn with joy. And I think that I felt uh, a lot when I was talking to your teachers also that on a daily basis, there's so much of, you know, involvement of the teachers with the uh, children and on a personal level so that they get that understanding where the child is coming from and what kind of needs that child has. So I think supporting the children in that way is like so wonderful to uh, see happening. So which also takes me to another uh, question, Ma, that, uh, you know, to reach that kind of uh, uh, an environment, I think it is so important to address the uh, mental well-being and the physical well-being of children and the teachers. So are there any specific practices that you uh, have in uh, your schools that address that? So we have, uh, of course, a lot of input from Isha Yoga Center. So for our teachers, you know, we do a few different yoga programs with them and we actually give them some time in school also to do yoga. Uh, we want, we feel that that's, you know, their mental health and their mental well-being is really important. Uh, one, we had it, like, for example, during COVID times, one of our principals had shared, initially she was really struggling because she was feeling kind of isolated and um, some things in the family were happening. And then she started doing the Isha yoga every day. Just a simple practice, you know, I think 10, 15 minute practice she started doing. And it made a very profound difference for her. Um, and she is, um, you know, she's, she's been with the school for a long time. She's so dedicated. Um, when she saw this change within herself, immediately she thought, okay, I need to make sure all my teachers are also doing this. So she set up a group with all the teachers and made sure that they are also doing, and they would share their experience, you know, of how it was helping them. So she reached out to all of them and it made quite a difference. Um, we then a little bit after this, we set up so we could do online yoga for the students. Right. You know, initially we didn't think of these things because we never, never would have thought, you know, online yoga never would have something we've never right. considered, but we started doing that. So when the children are at school also, they have time every day from, from around third, fourth standard, we teach them a yoga practice, which is a children's yoga, which they have time in school to do. When they're around 11, 12 standard, we also do the inner engineering class, which is for adults. Then they can do that practice in school. 
So this is one, um, you know, main thing, which is very structured and, and, and well thought out. We do a lot of other things, um, you know, kind of incidentally and, and see. So we have some content from a few different places, which is kind of fostering discussion about emotions, reflection on social interactions. Um, we do a little bit of training, kind of informal training with our teachers on how to give basic counseling. If we see that students need additional counseling, then we try to connect them with outside resources. Um, we have a few volunteers also who sometimes come and help. So for example, during again, during the COVID time, again, some of the students were really struggling um, either from isolation or you know having the phone around all the time and what they're getting exposure to. So we had an expert come in, she did some counseling sessions with them. So in that way, we're very lucky because we have a lot of resources, uh, probably much more than, in, than many schools because of the Isha network. If we see that we have a need for something, we have a way to reach out and, and to get some, you know, some additional support where we may not have it in team. One thing um, which I have to share is that when we, ha we have many visitors come to our schools, the most consistent feedback which they always give is how joyful the children are how bright their eyes are. So anyways, that's how all children should be, actually. All children should be like that. Yeah. It's not that we're doing something amazing. Uh, what we're doing is we're not stifling that joy. You know, we're not curtailing it. Because unfortunately, what happens in so many schools is that it's very repressive, it's very limiting. So that natural, spontaneous joy that a child feels actually gets you know, reduce, reduce. So that when they, when you see them a little older, they become very dull. Yeah. And so it's not that we're doing something to bring out the joy. We're just making sure that we don't, you know, suppress it, that we give it a space to express itself and, you know, for that creativity and that expression to come. So this is definitely, it's also an ongoing process. I think now, you know, with them having been home for a year and a half, we also have to reevaluate, okay, what additional support do we need to give, you know, now as they come back, if we're facing a whole new set of challenges, like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So this, again, we have to see, we, like I said, we have an academic team. So we try to see, okay, what are other schools doing? What are professionals saying? You know, how can we make these things work in our schools? But definitely it's something that we prioritize. Definitely. It's very important that it's not just the academics, but the overall well-being of the child. Absolutely. And I think, Two things that I really want to bring out here, Ma. One is, of course, the global network that you talked about. And I think that's just, uh, 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 you know, la three months back when I had a conversation with a principal of a school here in Bangalore, and the conversation was all about sharing knowledge. And uh, I feel that, you know, there should be a network like that for all the schools to share with each other. Because why, why keep that knowledge just for yourself? At the end of the day, we are going to teach children and children, wherever they are in, you know, wherever they are in the world can, can be taught by any one of us and we can share our knowledge with each other and like you said you have a, such a wonderful support because all your uh, you know volunteers from across the world help you give that uh, help whatever is needed so that's that's one big message for i think educators everywhere to understand that once we share knowledge we also get so much from the other person because when you give the other person is also so happy to share what they have so it would be wonderful to have a world like that where, you know, educators across could just share their teachings with everybody and children could benefit on a bigger scale. And I think the second thing that you brought out was so wonderful that the children are, you know, are in an environment where they are happy because I think it's not just about rural schools. I think that children are powerhouses of energy, right? So they need that let out where they can express their joy. They can laugh, they can jump. And every time just, you know, putting them in the classroom and saying, don't do this and don't do that, of course, uh, brings down the excitement to learn also. And if we let them have a little bit of freedom, I think that excites them to uh, learn. So I think that that's again a very big message, Marv, what you said. So uh, talking about children, I feel that, uh, you know, it must have been a big challenge in the rural areas for you to ask the parents to send the girl child for education. Uh, I mean, uh, did you have to really work hard on that front? 
So that is a little bit dependent upon the area. In most of our schools, it was not a not an issue. There's a few locations where initially it was a little tough. So a few of the locations, I'm not now, I'm saying like 15 years ago when we first started, uh, when we were first enrolling children, we had to convince a few parents of why they should send their daughter. That's specific to certain localities. Um, now it's not such an issue. I think one thing is word of mouth, you know, especially with the scholarship system. See, so one thing also, they don't have to pay. Paying for their child, for their daughter to get education may be a slightly bigger hurdle. So having scholarship is there. The other thing is, um, you know, seeing the other families and to a large extent, that's not such an issue now. Uh, we have, we, like I mentioned, we worked in government schools. So one very interesting sharing from one of the headmasters of one of the government schools we supported. At that time, we were doing a remedial program. So we were taking the children from class five, six, seven, eight, who were behind, you know, who were behind their peers. And we had a separate class with them where we would help them kind of on a, you know, go through the basics and then mainstream them. So in one location, the headmaster shared that because of this, the less girls were dropping out of school. You know, they were staying in school and so they were not having as many child marriages. He said in that area, the number of child marriages had come down because the girls were staying in school a little longer as a result of this extra support. Uh, it's not such an issue in most of our schools, like I said. One thing that, we're, that we are looking at, though, for girls is how to ensure that they um, continue higher studies and also go into, you know, a range of fields. So we are starting a, a scholarship for a girl who will go into a STEM area. This is from one of our donors. He specifically, you know, wanted to sponsor this for a girl. And we also have a slight scholarship for 11th, 12th. It's, you know, looking at girls who perform most of our scholarships are based on uh, the, the need. It's not based on performance at all. So most of our scholarships we see, is it required financially for the family? But for 11th and 12th, we've started one that's for, specifically for girls based on performance because we want to ensure, you know, that they stay in school and that they also pursue, uh, you know, diverse fields. They shouldn't be limited in what they look at. Absolutely. And I think the like you said, the bigger challenge is for them to continue that journey, to continue getting that education. And some of them, even though they would want to get that education, they need those means, uh, you know, to move forward and convincing. I think at that time, counseling from your side with the parents would also play a big role because they would want them either to get married or to, you know, settle down and not spend more on education. So I think that's where the counseling part would really help uh, them continue on that. Yeah, path. we've started quite a bit more in, in the past year or two. We've started a lot more support, you know, beyond 12. So our school goes up to 12. But after 12, what will they do? You know, how do they find? There's actually so many scholarships available for, for you know, college. But finding them is very tough. Yeah. You know, for a rural child to know where to go to get some sponsorship for this type of education is it's like overwhelming. Yeah. Even filling out an application, like so, this year we have been helping some students apply for MBA. Okay. But filling out that application is very daunting. Yeah. So these type of things are where support is needed. It's not just for the preparation academically, yeah. but for finding scholarships, for seeing how to fill out the application. You know, for finding these opportunities, this is where we found a lot of support is needed. So that's where we're seeing how to give that extra support. Correct. Correct. No, that's that's absolutely. Uh, wonderful like you know you hand holding them for a little longer than you know just the 12th grade till when they are with you I think that really must be uh, reinforcing in them that uh, strength to move on so uh, Ma like you've been sharing a few more uh, success stories with us we've talked about challenges but some other uh, success story that comes to your mind of a child or uh, a teacher anybody we would love to hear because it's such an, uh, you know, inspiring uh, uh, journey when you talk about those success stories. Okay. So when you said teacher, I'll share. Um, right when I first came, I think the first or second year I was here, I was doing interviews in one of our schools. Um, so we were interviewing teachers. One thing is for me, it was tough because I was new to India. 
And all the nuances are different. You know, the way that, that people in the US, all the mannerisms are very different. Though the, the person is speaking English, picking up the mannerisms was tough. So when I was doing interviews, it was like very hard for me to distinguish, you know, how the quality of the person. But I remember one teacher we interviewed when she was taking the class, she took it like this. You know, the whole class, she had her book like this, just covering her face. She was so nervous, you know, like hardly audible. I was thinking, oh my gosh, how will she manage in the classroom? You know, because she clearly had no experience. She was very shy, all these things, but we had nobody, you know, like we didn't have anybody else. So we, so I said, okay, let's hire this person, but I don't know how she'll be. Now she's like one of our top, you know, she's a vice principal in the school and she's so capable. She does training, you know, for many other schools, not just, not just in her own school. She supports with training for all the schools. She's like so knowledgeable in her subject area, you know? And um, I mean, she's learned from everything. She's taken every opportunity and learned from it. She's learned from the students. She's learned from our training. She's learned so much from her principal who she's worked with and she's become such a success. I'm like really, you know, when I see her, I'm in awe of how she went from here to here because it's such a jump. Yeah. And she's such an asset to each of you. Wow. So like this, actually almost all of our vice principals, I think all of our vice principals are like this. They all started as teachers and, you know, through time we've seen how much they stepped up Absolutely. and how they started taking so much initiative and how they, you know, how much they learned. And that is like the, you know, the most important part of the school is the principal and vice principal. Whatever we do, we have an academic team. Whatever we do is only to support them. If they have to like guide everything. So having such gems in place in the school is like really what makes the schools a success. And seeing our own teachers come from whatever, you know, wherever they came and, you know, coming up to this level is like such a wonderful thing to see. And of course, the same thing with students. You know, when you see some students coming how they are when they first come, you know, and they're so young and then seeing them as they get older and older, then, you know, after they graduate, many of them come back, you know, now we've had a few classes who've graduated, they've come back as alumni, they want to support the school, you know, they want to see how can I also help the school. They're not ready to donate money yet, but they want to donate their time, you know, they want to see how they can help. Even within the school, we've started something called peer learning where we have older kids teach younger kids. So we have them teach in a small group of like four or five. How the kids teach, it's so precious. You have to come and see. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, okay, it's nice to see a good teacher, but when you see a good child teaching, it is so incredible. And however their teacher does, I remember seeing, I was visiting one school and I saw this girl teaching. I was amazed. I asked the teacher, where did she get all these ideas? The teacher said, oh, I do that in my class. Oh. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, so they just soak up everything and they, they just, you know, with their full heart, they're giving. Um, and there's some students who they wouldn't talk in their regular class. You know, we had one boy. He was very shy. He wouldn't speak English in class. If the teacher calls, he wouldn't talk. But now we've put him in a class where he has to teach. Suddenly he's coming out speaking English, telling stories in English, you know, helping his, the little kids in his group. So even the principal and vice principal were like really amazed. We <laughs> never expected, you know, for the child to do something like this. So the main successes I see is when we create an opportunity See, if we limit, okay, we want the children to go like this, then they'll only go like that. But as soon as we open it up and we say, okay, let's see where they go. Yeah. That's when we get amazed. Absolutely. You know, those are successes is when we don't put boundaries. When we let them come out with something which we don't expect, then it's so incredible. You know, things beyond what we would expect happen. Absolutely. And uh, Ma, this resonates with uh, a podcast that I had with uh, Frid Mr. Fridolin Bizard. He's uh, the head of uh, uh, design uh, department at Art Center College of Design. And I was just asking him, so, you know, what, how can we increase our creativity? So these are the basic two things that he mentioned. He said the first two, the big two steps are to dig deep and to seek inspiration. And I think that goes for anything, any person. It's a life 
skill that we need to develop. And like you said, if you have an environment where one can just, you know, explore so many things, one has the peace and nurturing environment, you can just go in and you can figure out what I like and then follow your heart. And I think that happiness and success will definitely follow after that. But it's just that you need to give that peace to yourself to figure out first. And that I think as teachers, we can enhance their skill, we can enhance their knowledge, we can give them the support. But I think, like you said, we need to expand their vision. They need to just imagine so many things and then figure out. I have a nice story, which came to mind when you said please, this. Please, please so, Yeah. So in one of our schools, I was talking to one of the kindergarten teachers. This was a few years. Now she's teaching higher class. Uh, generally, we don't, you know, in a lot of schools, the kindergarten teacher They'll go to first, second, third. They think it's a promotion. We say, no, no, no. These people, <laughs> good teachers, don't, don't put them up. It's not a promotion because this is the foundation. It's so important, you know? For a long time, we wouldn't. The, te- the principal would say, I need this teacher. No, you have to keep them in kindergarten. She's too good like this. We, would, yeah. we wouldn't let them shift. But this was one of our kindergarten teachers who's, you know, um, wonderful teacher. And she was sharing. She gave a drawing assignment to the students. So in most, like uh, generally in schools here in India, what I've seen is there'll be a drawing book, which is like on one page, there'll be a picture and on the other page, the child replicates it. Maybe the outline is there and they color it in, or maybe it's blank, but they have to replicate that picture only. And so early on, we said, we're not doing this. See, sometimes you can copy because you can learn some skills. That's definitely true, especially in art. But we want them to express themselves through art. So instead we give some medium, you know, maybe they're learning paper mache or maybe they're learning painting or they're learning something with clay, but they should have learned how to use a medium, but then the expression should be their own. Yeah. So in this class it's kindergarten. So it's a basic drawing, but it's a blank sheet of paper. There's nothing, just a blank paper. And the teacher said, draw your mother. So all the children started drawing, but one child started to cry. So immediately we think, okay, something happened in her family. Of course, the teacher thinks that, and she goes and asks the child, what's wrong? Don't cry, you know, it's okay. The child says, uh, this, my mother is very big. I cannot fit her on this paper. <laughs> so then the teacher was like, okay. So she brought a much larger paper and gave it to the child. The child was very happy. Okay, so the child very happily on this larger paper draws her mother. Then the teacher takes the drawing. The child has filled the whole page with her mother. On the back of the page, she's drawn the braid. Oh. The mother's braid, she drew on the back. You know, and the teacher said when she met the mother, indeed, the mother was quite large. Oh. You know, but this is something never would any adult think of this. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. This is the beauty of the child is that they're, they're all geniuses. Yeah. And how they think. They all think outside of the box. Absolutely. So our job is to not impose that box. Let them continue to think like this. Absolutely. So this is one of my favorite stories because it's kindergarten and it's just so, you know. So beautiful, Ma. I think that's what, in fact, when I, uh, when uh, a long time back when I was conducting one of the sessions, so one of the teachers came and said, uh, I'm a kindergarten teacher, but do you think I need to, the same thing, like you said, that should I upgrade myself and move to, uh, you know, middle school or see I said, you're, you're talking about two different things. There is no upgrading from kindergarten to that. A kindergarten teacher is a great kindergarten teacher, right? And I sometimes feel that all the teachers should go through a kindergarten training because that's where they start in that wonderful rainbow world, right? And they would really understand that why that fun needs to continue up. Because as soon as the children move on to the primary and the middle years, it becomes just dark, gray, black and white, and it's all about, there's no fun there. So once the teachers go through that kindergarten uh, training and uh, teach in that area, they will feel the necessity to continue with that fun when they, wherever they are. It doesn't need to stop. And uh, that expression, I think that that only a child can bring out. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely that's what I te- like when we conducted the sessions. Also, there was one pro- one technique where I made them uh, create and I'm telling them a story and they had to draw. And some of the teachers were like, we held a crayon after so long. We've not held a crayon in years. 
and uh, they were so happy that they didn't want to stop so when i said okay now it's time up let put your crayons on there's no i just want to finish this and i want to finish that so that the childlike uh, excitement i think needs to continue and uh, we sometimes forget as grown ups that there is a child in us and uh, as teachers we need to keep that child alive to reach our children where whatever the age they may be so wonderful ma that's uh, beautiful stories and such amazing learnings from you and uh, before we go uh, i would like you to give a message to all our listeners and viewers please do tell us something um that's a tough challenge i guess the first thing that comes to my mind is that that we're blessed to work in education I think, you know, of all the fields to work in, getting to work with children is like a huge opportunity. Um, it's a, it should be considered like the highest job because we're, we're shaping the future generations, one. But secondly, it's a chance for us to learn so much. You know, like we were just saying, the creativity of children, the way that they think, it's much broader than, our, than how we think. So I, I guess what I would say is that we, though there will always be challenges, you know, for whatever we do, we should always remember what an opportunity, what a blessing for us it is, one, to impact their lives, and two, for us to continue learning and growing through, you know, working with the children, because they are incredible, incredible teachers, each one of them is. Thank you. Thank you, Ma, for those wonderful words. And you're so right. And I totally wholeheartedly believe in what you say, because uh, we as teachers, I think we have such a big responsibility of that life that comes to us. And uh, we need to create our classrooms, our schools, uh, such happy places so that the children who step out of those schools are happy souls and they spread happiness wherever they go. So thank you so much for these wonderful thoughts and uh, i've learned so much and i want to continue learning so we will definitely be in touch for more of these sessions and thank you for being on my podcast thank you it's been an honor and very enjoyable to talk to you and thank look forward to our future definitely thank you ma thank you so much